Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're chatting about the slow-mo demon slaying of El Paso Elsewhere, a supernatural neo-noir third-person shooter from developer Strange Scaffold, in which vampire hunter James Savage descends into the depths of the void on an introspective journey to stop his ex-girlfriend from destroying the world. But isn't just Neil and I slashing with stakes and diving through furniture this week, as we're once again joined by friend of the show and Blade Disgusting contributor, Aaron Baim. Aaron, welcome back to the show and uh, happy new year to you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure chatting horror with you and uh, especially this week because this was one of my favorite games of last year and uh, I babbled about it a little bit on our game of the year episode, but getting to uh, sort of get to the heart of what makes El Paso elsewhere such a standout from last year uh, has me very excited. And Neil, you're just getting around to it um, past, you know, the opening hour or two you played, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, been the fun thing of these last few weeks, uh, catching up on some of the things I didn't quite get around to. So uh, this was one I just started, I think, by the time we got to end of year coverage. But yeah, it's uh, been a, a real fun one. Uh, Steam Deck uh, helping out on that one as well. <laughs> Very comfortable Steam Deck game in that regard. In terms of like the coverage around this game and whatnot, the one sort of point of reference, and I'm plenty guilty of it just as some other people have been, you know, the reference point has been like Max Payne, but horror or demons, or Mm. it's an extrapolation of some of the supernatural aspects from the original Max Payne game. And, you know, while that isn't entirely inaccurate, um, I wanted to start by just, you know, Aaron, letting you kind of highlight uh, an element of the game's design outside of gameplay and combat, which we'll of course get to, um, because there's so much more, I think, to this game than just sort of that very uh, maybe overly simplistic reference that's been going around. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, obviously, like, even in my review, I compared it a lot to Max Payne um, stylistically as far as, you know, the gameplay and that sort of stuff. But, like, it really does um, so much to set itself apart, like, tone-wise. Like, it feels so strongly like just like strong creative direction like you know kind of the same thing again it's it's interesting that like you know this kind of maybe started out as something that's a, a bit of a 
Max Payne riff completely because it also seems to have um, other hallmarks of Remedy stuff of just like this like really strong creative vision that like every piece of it is behind like it seems it's it's a very it's a very like interestingly like there's like a kind of a jokey premise you know like in in a way it's like you know it's like oh yeah you do like slow-mo stuff and you shoot like vampires and mummies and stuff like that and that sounds kind of unserious and schlocky but like on um, at the same time it has that but it also has like an incredibly interesting um emotional grounding to it that really sets it apart narratively um and and like the writing and the and the performances and everything like that is so exceptionally um well done in addition to like uh, i think that the the visual style the audio style the music everything just like perfectly links together into this this synergy that gives it an identity of all its own despite the fact that it seems like from the onset to just be like this is max Payne, but with werewolves that reference to uh you know remedy's overall style right or sort of they're basically diving into a premise no matter how sort of uh, kooky it might be at times in terms of sort of the elements that they get sort of thrown together and mishmashing. But yeah, that was kind of my takeaway too from the artistic side for this game uh, and the sort of it having this sort of neo-noir sort of, I suppose, introspective nature of the narrative where it's like looking at past regrets, past mistakes. You know, it has this really sort of brooding pitch perfect. You'd assume like Sam Spade is... Uh, the one that's dishing out some of the dialogue in this just because of how chewy and, you know, that pulpy dialogue is. And yet at the same time, it's a game that you feel doesn't take itself all too seriously at times in terms of like having this sort of creative spark behind it that is very unique and very singular uh, based on, you know, the sort of, uh, I suppose, inclinations of the creative team behind it. Um, And a big part of that, I think, is the music, right? Which you briefly mentioned. The music is the type of soundtrack that is like hip hop, experimental, kind of like funk at times. It's not the type of soundtrack that you would expect from a game such as this. And if anything, you know, it took me aback uh, initially, but you know, the more you're into this world, you get to see both sides, I think, of the development where it's like, okay, you have this very unique creative spin on something that's very familiar. And if anything, I think that makes perhaps some of the gameplay aspects that may play it a little too safe to the sort of homage nature of it kind of, pop in a way because the universe or the world itself um, is so singularly unique and just, you know, you never really know what to expect next. I think the deeper into this game you get. How about you, Neil? What was uh, an aspect of this outside of the uh, gameplay that kind of stood out to you initially since you're just now getting to it? Yeah, I think it's straight from the off is um, it takes, when you're talking about Max Payne as any kind of reference, it's what it takes the most from it is that game's most surreal parts and just, it's jump that's the jumping off point for what this game ends up being like and only sort of gets more like that the further it goes in so i like that it wasn't hiding anything it was you know this use of the void to sort of explain away why you can see everything and anything outside these corridors and rooms was you know a really smart decision i just straight away liked seeing all these little details used to sort of yeah, you know, cover paper over the cracks of what people would expect from like a modern Max Payne style game or a modern slow mo shooter, and you know, it a great example of that old thing of you know um, indie filmmaking. Yeah, you know, we had this. Yeah, you know, we put it all together with whatever we could find, and you know, we had to get inventive because of the budget and stuff like that. And it, you can see that in this game, where it's like you know we don't have all these people to make bespoke levels and. 
you know, really ratch up you know, the ray tracing and the cinematic, but yeah, they just get to the core of everything in it, you know, very quickly and basically say to you, you know, this is it, you know, this is what you're going to be experiencing. If, you didn't, if this isn't for you, fine, just go, but you'll, you'll be missing out, sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I think initially I was a little taken aback by the sort of void setting of everything, right? And, you know, the first time you get to this hotel and you start exploring it and you look up and there's just no ceiling to mm. anything, right? And you see this infiniteness of the void and these like very strange patterns. And initially I was kind of like, is this sort of compensating, I suppose, for a lack of, you know, the type of scale or I suppose an intricacy to environments that, you know, maybe I hesitate to say like more seasoned developers or just people that have a bigger budget, more resources could have, yeah. you know, um, attacked this project with. And then the deeper into the game I got, I started to have a real appreciation for that specific sort of style that, you know, transcends throughout all the different uh, zones and the 50 plus levels that this game has for two reasons. Because one, you know, those environments early on that kind of feel random, right? It's a hotel it's a graveyard type setting. It's um, this sort of like almost Quake-esque castle uh, that you'll end up exploring at a certain point. But then, you know, the more that you learn about Savage, the more you learn about his background and what he's dealt with and, you know, his relationship with characters, all of that really comes together into something that's far more meaningful to the degree that when I, this week I went back and I replayed probably the first two or three hours on top of, you know, playing through a couple of the later levels. Um, and it just, it made me have more appreciation for this world that, Again, very early on, it's kind of just like, oh, this kind of feels a little bit like let's throw all these strange things together and see what sticks. But the fact that it does come full circle um, kind of just strengthens those aspects that we were talking about in terms of not only the writing, but the character. And um, what also I would say is like probably one of my favorite voice actor performances of last year. It does so much. And I sh we should mention that um, not only is this game designed by Xavier Nelson, um, but he also does the voice acting and he also composed the soundtrack for this game. So it's like juggling so many different hats. Um, it's no surprise that this game at times for, uh, you know, for as much as you could reference Max Payne, it still feels very personal, uh, the story that's being told. But at the same time, this being, you know, resemblant of this creative's identity um, in a way that, you know, in this sort of space of horror, it's great to see creatives that might not have the biggest backing or I think they even had trouble um, sort of like publishing this game initially because some people in terms of feedback were saying like, oh, it's very sort of niche. It's kind of like very specific. It's very odd and weird, which, you know, is fair. But at the same time, having that creative with so many different sort of uh, plates spinning at once uh, really helped this game to kind of have that identity that is very personal. Yeah, I actually um, I actually saw him uh, at, I, I briefly just met him and talked to him at a PAX South here once in, in Texas. Ooh. Um, it was like the last pack south before the pandemic hit and i remember he was there promoting his game um called an airport for aliens currently run by dogs <laughs> and it's a it's like a it's like a strange like open world puzzle solving or like adventure type game where you're just like essentially talking to like uh like just like flat jpegs of of dogs like you walk around this airport and you just talk to these like jpegs of dogs and it, it's it's interesting because he i like i didn't end up playing that game but he always struck me as like i was like i'm gonna follow this guy this guy's quite interesting um because uh like he he seems to be very much a person who who's built a studio around the idea of like making what you can with the budget you have and i think that's one of the most 
coolest things about this game is how much it like very clearly like you you were saying it's not like something where they have like you know big high fidelity graphics and you know huge um you know production values they're like this is our visual you know we have our limitations we this is going to be our visual style you know we're gonna we're gonna lean into it almost something like you know i i've been thinking about like silent hills have an anniversary coming up again so i've been thinking about silent hill again i'm like that that idea of like um you know sort of these technical limitations like sparking your creativity and making it more interesting um so like the idea that like they have like you know they don't have these ceilings and stuff like that or like it's this more simple graphic style um and really allowing them to like push that that visual style and make it a bit more of an identity um uh i just i think i think that is a really cool thing and also like at, like um i i do level design uh and in my day job and like it's like i can see how like they were like okay here are the pieces we have we have we've made these pieces you know we've made this tile set of hotel rooms with this tile set of you know graveyard this tile set of castle all these things do with them whatever you can think you know what i mean and that's clearly like what they've done is like they take they take the exact tiles that they have it's like okay now the floor now this one like things are floating in the air and this one like there are doors everywhere this is the one where like it's just a um like a circle that you go around in an infinite loop until until you beat all the enemies um and it's just it's just so interesting as a level designer to watch them like remix the same the same lego pieces in as many possible ways um and i think that's just a really clever way to to use the budget you have especially when you're making on such a small scale um yeah anybody that's read a game review has definitely seen you know criticisms of specific games that have a limited amount of assets that are then reused ad nauseum sometimes right except in this case you know having that setting of the void it never became an issue for me along the lines of like oh this kind of feels like it's going on for a bit or this is just sort of the recycling of elements that I just saw for the last five levels. I never had that sort of fatigue because of the sort of uh, the nature of the void and that anything could pop up in terms of the layout or the ways in which they want to expand on certain uh, introductions of enemies in these things because of the freedom that that void setting has. And um, I didn't mention it earlier when we were talking about, you know, the lack of a ceiling for all of these environments, but the way that that sort of um, ratchets up, I suppose, combat mm. and just overall, like when you have to backtrack because inevitably you're going to come across these doors that are barriers and you have to collect these hearts that act as keys. And so there is a fair bit of backtracking, but the fact that enemies can spawn up on top of where the ceiling normally would be and teleport or dash between those environments. So now you have to deal with combat on like this verticality level that early on was not there. And then once it's introduced, it just continually, you know, hammers the player with having to contend with threats that are at multiple levels, but at the same time spawning in new areas for every time that you're uh, doing this backtracking, which again, you know, for as many levels as there are, was never really an issue for me because of the sort of unpredictability, I suppose, of how they recycle not only those different um, sort of uh, assets in the game, but also um, how they recycle environments mm -hmm. in a given level mm -hmm. to kind of uh, not let the player necessarily burn out, I suppose, before they find that elevator. I think... A key thing to it is the tightness of the corridors and environments themselves. I think if you had too many wide open things, that's where you'd start to suffer with the kind of gameplay loop that is there. I think by keeping it tight and claustrophobic and, and having this knowledge that things come out of anywhere, it really does just make every sort of you know, foot forward be this sort of dangerous thing for you as you go. I mean, as much as you know inevitably that once you get that last, you know, person and 
everything changes, what you want to do. That bit's technically the easy part, you know, really. It's like, but um, yeah, that first journey through any level where you are just trying to find everything and get your way around is always just such uh, a cautious thing, you know, which is interesting for a game that is, you know, very much about slow-mo shooting everything in the face. But it still happens like that. And um, yeah, I think that makes so much of a difference because, yeah, we, we could have been talking about... I mean, I can see that with some people that do kind of look at it and go, oh, it's the same thing, you know, for 50 levels. And it's like, there's enough that changes every 10 or so levels, I think, to sort of freshen up the um, underlying sort of gameplay. And whether that be narratively or just environment. But yeah, I, I think that's the smart thing. That they don't try and make it into this bigger thing than it is. They, you know, it's confined, contained. And you know, I guess the illusion of it being big is just having that void out there, which is just you know, this infinite nothingness, as you see. Yeah, and I think that it's a really smart decision too when it comes to the backtracking to then get to the elevator after you've rescued all of those um, victims or almost victims um, is the fact that, you know, they don't just remix in terms of the enemies or where they spawn to be thrown at you when you do that backtracking. But, you know, stylistically, the game has this remix per level where they mess with, you know, the audio. So that way things can, you know, sound very far away or they sound very hollow. And then sometimes they have like this Argento red that sort of comes onto the screen that obscures your vision slightly just so that way, you know, going through an environment feels a little bit different, but not enough to, you know, make it difficult to actually, you know, kill the things that are jumping out and ambushing you. Um, but again, you know, in spite of the lack of visual fidelity, I thought that was an, a smart stylistic way to, again, sort of be recycling these assets within environments, but presenting them in a new way, um, which I think, you know, when, again, coming back to the soundtrack, when you pair these moments of slow-mo diving through these crazy uh, visuals in terms of like how it messes around with the lighting on top of, you know, that score, which is, you know, I'm not going to say it's something I'm going to go listen to outside of the game, but it feels perfectly at home in that game. And, you know, the variety of tracks and the different styles and tones within those tracks always felt apt for the moment in which they're playing at, you know, sometimes it would be a harder, almost like rock kind of moment, which, you know, when I'm getting ambushed from 10 or 15 different enemies at a time like that's that big intensity moment and then when you have one of the more slower levels where you know you just had this kind of revelation previously with a cutscene where savage is uh you know lamenting his failed past relationship or whatever and then you have lyrics that are clearly more personal because it's taught and it's slower and it's a little more methodical um and you know being able to hit those sort of peaks and valleys of a soundtrack to the gameplay um was one of those things that again kind of made this game filled with surprises in ways that I was not expecting, um, which was always, you know, refreshing. But I guess before we dive into combat, uh, we'll take a quick break because we have plenty to unpack with that. Uh, so we'll dive into that and more in a moment. And we are back from our break and I want to dive into combat now because, you know, while we of course have mentioned several times uh, Max Payne, right, that being the main reference point, I think, for combat, I'm curious, though, you know, how you guys found handling, I suppose, combat options that are very similar to that, but, you know, within this world that is very strange and very uh, diverse, I think, in its layout and its construction. Um, Neil, for you, like, how did you find combat 
Um, and was it able to kind of have a unique spin almost on uh, that Max Payne nature of it? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, that claustrophobic nature of it makes it very distinct from Max Payne in that you are, while you can jump around and do all the slow-mo John, you know, John Woo stuff, it doesn't quite work the same way because you are having to keep everything confined. And so you have to really know when to use it. It's no really like spamming it around just to look cool. You you have to look at the environment, what you have, what makes sense. Um, sometimes it is just as simple as shoot the thing in front of you. Don't have to worry too much about anything else. I think as you sort of grow your arsenal and have you know can swap between weapons on a fly like that, that's when it really kicks in, I think, and really shows you what it's capable of. And, you know, there's early levels i think you know it could put people off if they're thinking oh well this is it this is it it's all it's going to be uh this kind of combat um and if you don't like take the time to sort of see the intricacies of it which because they're there you know even even though it seems very much like oh yeah it's the stuff we saw you know 20 years ago but it's not it, it is you know simple on the surface but i think because of the environments and the way they are, you have to use them in a very particular way to get the most out of them. If you're playing it like a Max Payne, or even, well, like a Remedy game, really, it, it doesn't work the same way. In much the same way that people bounce off Remedy games and this and that, because of that, where they don't really fit what most people consider to be like normal ideas of combat. I think it's quite telling that Control is always mentioned as one of like the games that people are more satisfied with on that front because it's probably the most accessible in terms of giving you that combat uh, high. Yeah, this is a game that requires a bit of challenge, I think, in that it, you need to really get on its level to get the most out of it. Yeah, part of, I think, what makes combat so satisfying um, is, you know, apart from how it handles, which is great, but, you know, I think one of the influences that is not talked about as much with this game is something like Hotline Miami because it's mm. incredibly easy to die in this game. Uh, it only takes sometimes two or three hits from an enemy when you're playing on you know the intended difficulty. And I'll say that this game is great in terms of accessibility because it has all these modifiers in terms of if you want story mode, intended, hardcore, but you can still shift how effective certain uh, you know like pills are or how much damage or unlimited ammo, those types of things, which are all great. But when you're playing on the intended difficulty, I found that to be the perfect challenge because as you said, sometimes you're going to come into an environment that has five or six enemies and they're docile. They're just kind of standing there. Like I'm thinking of the, um, the mummies, right? Sometimes they're just standing there like they're in a hibernated state and you just headshot them or slow-mo and then headshot them. And they're not really an issue. Um, but the fact that once they're alerted and if you screw up, all of a sudden they all make this dash for you. And there are no, you know, in traditional game terms, like simple enemies, just because of the fact that everything hits hard. So you really can't take any of those engagements for granted, especially later on in the game. Um, you know, you might come to one of these very traditional corridors leading to a more wide open section that is like the brunt of a level's difficulty. But really, you can't treat that sort of uh, hallway as a reprieve because if you screw up again, that can completely derail you for the fight that's coming just through the next door. Mm. Um, and, you know, I made that mistake countless mm. times early on, but it's a very quick learning lesson to not take, you know, any enemy for granted, I suppose, which, you know, if anything, 
just places more emphasis on the slow-mo. Yeah, one thing this game actually kind of reminded me of, aside, you know, once I got past the Max Payne slow-mo stuff, is it almost reminded me of like an old-school Doom, where it's like, you know, mm. you have like these like kind of mazy labyrinth levels where you're looking for the key to get through the door. Um, uh, this game is what I love about uh, the whole ceiling list thing, is that it makes it very easy to navigate because you can just look up and look for the light shafts. I think that was like yes. a, just a, such yeah. a brilliant design decision. Um, and it reminded me of like a very, you know, old school doom type thing where you're just like, you know, you get to the big room. Here's the room where you're having a holdout. You're just the enemies are going to spawn in until they're finished. And you just kind of have to keep uh, moving around and importantly cycling through your weapons. Because like, you know, uh, especially if you're in a real cramped firefight, like there's a lot of reload time that can screw you up. So like sometimes it's like I'm shooting with pistols until I run out of ammo. Then I'm slow motion diving, taking off a shot, getting a shotgun shot off, um, switching to the, you know, Tommy gun. Um, and it, it becomes like almost this, um, you know, this, this doom fight of making sure you have the, the correct weapon, you, t you know, the correct weapon for what you're doing, you know, whether you're doing like up close dudes with, with shotguns or sort of like a crowd control with, a with the Tommy gun or whatever you need, um, or throwing the, throwing the, um, the like Molotov cocktail, uh, type things, um, all that sort of stuff. I just love the way it, f it like gave me an arsenal and forced me to keep switching around things um either through like quickly quickly overwhelming me and forcing me to switch weapons because you know i was out of something um or whether it's just like i need you know I'm, i can't i can't shotgun the the little the little um guys that throw the light orbs at you know throw, throw the orbs <laughs> at you from up yep. top so i'm like okay gotta switch to this gun and pop them off uh it, it, i just think it's a really um awesome like frantic feeling that is still like kind of like i don't want to say like a thinking man shooter but kind of like you know you still have to kind of be aware of everything you have on you and and make sure you're using it all right and in, to the point where it's almost there's like a there's like it's not like quite like a survival horror resource management but sometimes i'm like okay well i have like you know i've got 17 shotgun shells should i be using this or should i be using my pistols or you know you're kind of keeping an eye on your resources especially when it comes to stakes um which are you know the yeah. sort of last resort melee weapon that you have which you can only have five of um so there is a lot of uh, a lot of things that you're paying attention to as you fight um while still making it feel like you know fun and frenetic i would say that yeah you need to identify the rhythm of combat mm -hmm. pretty quickly on um, and it is the type of thing where I was reading some reviews or some pieces on this game and a couple of people were saying like, well, you know, it's kind of easy because there's this influx of ammo. But, you know, I would say that while ammo was very rarely um, an issue mm -hmm. in terms of running out of it in this game, I think the reload times on those weapons is very smart because it never allows you to overly rely on a single mm -hmm. weapon in a firefight. Um, and, you know, you have a variety of I think you get up to what, nine options you've got two throwable or you've got two explosives one molotov one grenade launcher and then you've got uh, a bounty of firearms right. to use and while initially i was kind of like oh man this tommy gun takes fucking forever to load at the same time though that keeps me from ever sort of dominating mm -hmm. i suppose yeah. a given area which you know at the end of the day it doesn't really matter if those guns run out of ammo or not if you're not doing that item management or gun management of keeping certain guns loaded Having something on the back burner in case, you know, you get pushed into a corner because, again, it only takes two or three hits on the, most of the difficulties for you to die. Um, and so I guess my next question would be, um, in terms of slow-mo, how vital did you guys find that to use? Because I found myself, 
using it about 50% of the time, which I was surprised by just because of how frantic things were. Um, Neil, for you, like how, how much did you use slow-mo? Did you use, was it your go-to or were you more, uh, you know, rolling through, uh, you know, encounters? <laughs> um, no, I, I used it a fair bit mainly because I'm an absolute sucker for it anyway. But like I said, the game makes sure you use it when you're supposed to. You know, use it out, context it, and it's fucking useless, really. You know, like that, which obviously would be frustrating if you're not realizing that's why. But I think, yeah, you quickly realize that, okay, it's fun, but we aren't going to be using it, overusing it. And that, again, is much like you're saying with the weapons, is something that's very important. You don't want to be showing your hand constantly and saying, yep, yeah, here we go, this is needs slow-mo, that needs slow-mo. And the fact that you can kind of do the different kinds, you know, you can do the one that is just, literal slow-mo and then the, the diving slow-mo um and utilizing those in the situations you get it, it's yeah essential uh, to work like that so yeah i don't ever sort of outstate it's welcome i think you know that there's a flexibility there that means you can play it with or without really if you really want to but i, I think sometimes you get into a pinch and it's just the best thing where you realize the sort of level design that you're in and you can just sort of vault backwards you know aim up in the air, take one out, aim down there, another gun, take them out and just slide on your back towards you know, the back of the room and still be ready to take out the next one if, if they come close with a stake. It's just, in those moments, it's just like distilled you know, action. Yeah, it really does just do the job perfectly. And that's usually the best set of tools, I think, when you have combat is um, having these you know, variety of... Uh, enemies and environments that will ensure that you can just mix and match you know all the abilities and weapons you have um it's funny that we're asking about the slow-mo because i have a couple of co-workers that are playing this uh, that that actually recently finished it um and they were sort of discussing like oh like i never use the dive i always you just use the the slow-mo button and i was like and they were like i don't know why you'd even use the dive and i was like it's literally the coolest thing you can do. <laughs> I, 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 like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't think there's a cooler thing in a video game to do than take two pistols and dive backwards and shoot a werewolf in the face. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what your question is. <laughs> you should probably be diving more. And that's it. And the flexibility of that, where you can just dive at all different angles and, you know, I think mouse and keyboard definitely works better than trying to do it for a controller. But, um, in terms of like having the accuracy and getting as much as you can out of it. But yeah, it's just so satisfying to like go sideways dive over a low ledge and just take out a few enemies in one go. It's just beautiful. And and yeah, it's, that's the the thing that you want from that kind of hook. You know, if you are looking at this and going, Oh, I remember this from Max Payne, blah, blah, blah. You want it to have that sort of feedback loop, which, you know, if you go to Max Payne now, it's like, yeah, it's there, but it's not quite as refined. You know, this is obviously benefiting from years of um, experience of knowing what that was like and how games have changed, whilst you know, sort of retaining a very indie throwback edge to it. Yeah, one of the coolest things or most fun things I did last year with this game was peeking around a corner, seeing a group of guys, and then slow-mo diving around the corner and throwing a Molotov and then having my mm -hmm. Uzi ready mm -hmm. to go to mop up anybody that, you know, was uh, taking burn damage but didn't die initially. And, yeah, you know, I think also, like, slow-mo diving is one of those things that I didn't use all the time, but if I was backed into a corner 
and saw I was going to get boxed in. That was like my preemptive measure, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. That and a shotgun diving out of the way while trying to, you know, spray these guys that are moving in on me. Um, and at the same time, you know, talking about the verticality of this game later on, not only can you see the location of the different hostages, but when you deal with more aerial enemies, like these sort of Egyptian discs that are like levitating in the air that have wings and stuff, and you have to like shoot at the center of it just when the rings are, you know, not blocking whatever it's like heart sources, um, you know, like slow-mo sniping those guys from further away on the map or when seeing one of those possessed orb throwing enemies like early on, that was one of those things where I was like, oh, I can, I can play with the construction of this world and the tools that are giving to me in a way that, you know, sometimes in games people might be like, oh, it's like cheating. But at the <laughs> same time, when the game has such a heavy penalty on death, um, it was one of those things where it, it sort of compelled me to explore areas a little bit more methodically. Again, coming back to Aaron saying this was um, like a thinking man shooter or a little bit more thought has to go into the action than just, you know, rolling through hordes of enemies and spraying them or whatever. Um, little touches like that, I think, really instill in the player to like take a moment to slow down, take a beat, survey your surroundings, um, which also, you know, your Doom comparison is pretty apt because I think that while this game does have a construction overall that feels resemblant of that in terms of like, when I think of doom, it's like, Oh yeah, there's gotta be secrets everywhere. So I need more ammo in this game. However, you know, the secrets that you can unlock are narrative based, which was, you know, something that I really, really was appreciative of. Cause you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm not somebody that typically seeks out uh, secret areas in games or anything like that. But in this game, again, coming back to that narrative that is so strong, that is, I would say surprisingly strong again, because just based off of people's, I suppose, surface level view of this game, it'd be like, oh, I've got this game begged for everything it's going to entail. And for the game to have such a strong narrative component and then to have secrets that actually, you know, further my understanding of the world, further my understanding of Savage and his relationship um, was one of those aspects that just made me again, you know, scour through environments uh, a little bit more meticulously i suppose than uh i typically wouldn't a shooter yeah you know when we were talking about 10 dead doves you know way back and we we're trying to sort of put a finger on what it was about it that made it different from the other kind of you know, games of that type where it was you know a throwback in what it is it's an old school survival horror but it's not you know it's quite clear doing something that is fresh modern with it and that's the case here you know it's another one where it's like Okay, the obvious comparison is, oh, look, it's doing a noir-style story with Max Payne-styled gameplay, blah, blah, blah. But the framing of it is not like a, a PlayStation game or a PlayStation 2 game. It, you know, the way it looks is, you know, considering the low-res graphics, the scenes that are set up are just so beautifully shot and well done. You know, like the presentation at times is just gobsmackingly good. And I think it helps because of this synergy between, you know, the music, the visuals, and just the writing. You know, all three just go together, and the delivery of that writing as well. I think because it's so personal, and you know, someone doing the whole one-man band thing and getting everything done, it it shows in a good way at times. You know, like that, where you just can go, yeah, you wouldn't really achieve that quite the same way if it was like different people doing different jobs. This is bang on the money this is the way you've got to do it yeah it is just a smashing way to go about it and to sort of go back to this doom thing i mean one of the most telling things is before this game came out there was a teaser that was you know like a 
first-person shooter called El Paso Nightmare, yeah. mm-hmm. and, you know, which mm-hmm. just shows how well you know, this translates to that sort of shooter model, you know, whilst being slightly different. And even that has like this subversive take on what you'd expect it to be, mm-hmm. you know, like that. I think that's basically what I want, really, I think, now when I think of these sort of games that are like trying to tap into your nostalgia valve. You don't want them to be exactly like the games you played that back then. You want them to remind you of them whilst doing something fresh and exciting. Yeah. Uh, one Absolutely. one last thing I remembered that I wanted to mention about the other another thing about like comparing it to Doom is um, one thing I think it does extremely well is um, everything, all the monsters you're encountering. Um, are so visually distinct that you can read a battlefield yeah. easily like you can you and yeah. prioritize what you're doing and that's that to me is also what doom is about is about like okay i ha- that guy's over there i have to put i have to put a pill a column between me and that guy while i take care <laughs> of these other guys that are bearing down on me instantly um and it's it's just so easy to read just by silhouettes or by you know just a quick glance you're like okay i got that guy there i got that guy there i got this guy this guy's gonna dive at me in like two seconds um, you know, it, it, it really makes you, and then of course, you know, being able to slow down in that, in that moment while you're, while you're sort of getting a read on everything, um, again, gives you like all the, all the creatures feel distinct enough to justify that they should be in there. And then are all like, you know, easily, they synergize well, as far as like building an encounter, you know, um, having like, you know, the, the big haunted armor things coming at the big haunted knights coming at you um versus werewolves versus mummies versus whatever are all all like you know things that you have to deal with in different ways um and have to think on your feet while you're doing it and i think that's just yeah i think that's one of the strongest things again like like i said that that makes me think of doom in that in that regard where you can just like read an enemy from a distance and know exactly what yeah what to expect yeah, even in an audio level as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can tell just by the sound of something. You get, oh, I know what I've got to deal with coming up here sort of thing. It really is a monster mashup of uh, different enemy types and whatnot. And, you know, I suppose when I look at a game and I want to see its roster of enemies, you would, I typically, I'm like, okay, I want to see how all of these creatures are deriving from, you know, a core enemy type, right? Typically, you know, thinking about something like Doom, it's like you start with the imps and then you see how the demonic entities can evolve and spread or whatever they have more hell energy in them or whatever end up as a cacodemon or something along those lines and in this game while it lacks that i think that it doesn't end up mattering because of what aaron's been saying and the fact that you know they're designed from the ground up with this sort of you know being able to scan their silhouette and instantly knowing what their attack patterns like getting to hear a preview almost of them pretty typically from when you're coming into the environment that they're in and the way in which they present different types of threats that don't really ever feel like they are, I suppose, stepping on the toes of an enemy that was introduced earlier. Um, everything has a new facet to combat that just, again, it makes every encounter in one of those bigger sized environments, with, you know, given the fact that enemies can just spawn in uh, at a given moment, like that much more, I suppose, you need to plan for everything because of the fact that you might deal with aerial and then you might deal with aerial enemies that then can teleport and can actually follow you throughout levels Mm. um, or i suppose areas right because they don't have the confines of you know traditional ceiling Um, which if anything you know was an aspect of combat that caught me off guard initially um, but ended up being a plus because of the fact that you know you never really feel truly safe right if you come into a room there's too much for you to handle and it's mostly ground enemies 
they can't really all follow you through the door that you just came through, right? So you can kind of corral them through that mm -hmm. for a kill box. Yeah. That becomes problematic though later in the game when you're dealing with these massive creatures that can you know follow you throughout different sections or again, those um, orb throwing enemies that can just teleport and they'll follow you to, you know, no matter where you go in a map, um, which if anything, you know, I think speaks to just combat having a bit more of its sort of uh, boot on the player's neck uh, than I was anticipating. Cause you know, while you might be able to plan out these escape routes, they're not really escape routes because of mm -hmm. the fact that you can be pursued mm -hmm. to any aspect of uh, any area on the map. Yeah. And I just love also like the, I suppose the creativity behind that monster mashup, right? You have sort of this, I suppose, simplistic enemies. You know, you've got your vampire, you've got your mummy, you've got your werewolf, you've got your possessed floating creatures. But then, you know, you have these random like puppeteers mm -hmm. that run around the map and try to hide <laughs> from you while they send this horde of little marionettes after you that, you know, are weak to kill. But at the same time, you could have 10 mm -hmm. of them following you um, and they will basically home in on you and they'll follow you all throughout the different uh, areas of the map and whatnot, which again, I was never allowed to like overly rely on a strategy. I always had to like be thinking two steps ahead almost. How am I going to react if this goes to shit? How am I going to react if this gun, I wasn't prepared, uh, you know, had it all loaded up and everything ready to go. Yeah, it does have that. And it's just, yeah, considering again, you know, what you're getting visually speaking, it, the way that enemies die is just quite enjoyable as well, especially when you see it in slow-mo, you know, the elasticity of some of them as well. It's just like insane fun, you know. It, it's something that should be like a bug in most games, but it, it's like you, here it works as a sort of, yeah, I like that that thing's ragdolling to fuck, you know, and just like its legs are coming out of its ass, you know. It, it just makes sense in, in this sort of weird, you know, void that you're in where nothing seems to play out by the rules that they are supposed to. Yeah, there's a there's a really great audio visual quality to combat as well. Aside from like mm -hmm. all the stuff we've been talking about about the tactical stuff, but like what you're talking about, like when you kill a dude and they just ragdoll and go flying everywhere. Mm. Um, I love I love the sound. I think the sound design on the guns is awesome. Like I think the yeah. like the shotgun feels good with the combination of like you know the the force of seeing enemies fly back and then the the just the sound of. Um, is like perfectly done. Um, I think the lighting on this game rules. Like I, mm. I think it's really cool when you're in like a darker area and it's just like lit up by these like flashes of your pistols, especially when you're doing it in slow motion. It looks so cool. Um, and then yeah, like I just, I just love. And then the other thing on that, like on top of that, is just like uh, the destructible environment stuff too, where you're like smashing, you know, you're like blasting, you know, uh, big dressers or tables or. Chairs while you're like either you know dodge rolling through or shooting it with a gun, um, and it's just the it's that it's that chaos that I love from you know it's obviously a smaller scale than it but like that that like um, visual chaos of like control where you're just like whipping desks at people and there's just papers flying everywhere. Um, it kind of captures that same like chaos feel um, on a just on an audio visual level that's, that's super cool, especially again like we've been saying for this for this low poly this low poly aesthetic to, to like, you know, they, they so smartly were able to like, be like, okay, we're going to have like a very low poly aesthetic, but we're going to like, 
make it shine through the art design of everything and we're going to have like you know great lighting and breakable stuff and because of the fact that we're not you know making like super high poly environmental pieces they can break better and you know we can have the physics on them more fun because we don't have to worry about rendering too much uh, complicated geometry so yeah, yeah. It, it I, I think once this is it and i think once you're in a game and you're concentrating on it and the movement's going around you you are only seeing like slivers of what that's actually going on so as much as you know it's impressive to have all this like massive detail in the game when it and stuff's breaking and flying everywhere the same effect can be had you know like that it, it goes again back to the idea of like indie filmmaking and or, and using say like practical effects to achieve the same thing as a film that's got a budget of 200 million dollars you know it's like it can be more believable because they know how to work the smoke and mirrors to make it more believable. You know, whereas yeah, the higher budget one might just go, we want to make this look as real as possible and, and doing so fucks it really by just distracting you from what you're supposed to be looking at, which is a, I always liken it to the thing that they used to mention about um, in sports games, uh, pre-evolution soccer, like especially the genius of its animation was that it, it skipped frames of animation to trick players into thinking they see this fluid movement and it's like it's why you know a lot of modern sports games suffer is because they're trying to animate every single thing down to the letter and it doesn't look right and you know the responsiveness isn't right you know you've got to find that balance between you know technical superiority and visual superiority and it's like if you want everything to work as smoothly as you've intended you have to make those sacrifices sometimes and they're worth making because you can achieve so much of the same stuff doing that yeah it was really fun revisiting this game this week on top of revisiting uh the john woo film hard boiled and while that <laughs> film lacks uh demons or vampires or anything along those lines um you know, just the fact that I was playing a game that allowed me to, you know, smash through furniture, to dive over those low counters in such stylish fashion um, was, you know, just a ton of fucking fun. <laughs> um, and at the same time, you know, rolling through furniture, as cool as that is in the moment, it also serves like a practical purpose, too, because if there's ammo behind it, you automatically pick it up. But more importantly, uh, wooden items I think it's every one of them will drop stakes. There's like a uh, chance. Which, yeah, there's a chance to drop yeah, stakes. Okay, there's a them. chance. So, you know, rolling the dice on that, it's like, yeah, it looks cool as shit, but also I could have one of those vital stakes, which again, the further you get into the game, those become more essential in some of those mm -hmm. combat scenarios because you'll come up against enemies that have health bars. And once you get that down, you have to then, you know, stake them to get to the next health bar, which again is a good balance to combat that I almost wish was a little more prevalent in some of the lesser enemies just because of the fact it would force the player to switch up and not overly rely all the time on ranged combat, right? Because having to get up and close and personal with something that can kill you in a couple of hits was a nice, again, um, I suppose, increasing the difficulty on what was already pretty difficult combat. Yeah. But I, I think in terms of the presentation, which we've been talking about and, you know, the lo-fi nature of the visuals, I think when it comes to the storytelling that decision would have fallen apart if it had not been for as strong as the writing was. And mm -hmm. again, talking about as personal as this narrative is to the developer. Um, Cause you know, when you have those cutscenes, of course you have faces that mm -hmm. are so low rendered, they can't show any emotion. And the fact that they're able to elicit as much emotion and engagement in the narrative based off of the voice acting, 
but as Neil mentioned, also just the direction, the way that those scenes are framed are always perfect. Um, and I think that, you know, those cutscenes are brief enough, but they never feel like they're not sort of contributing in a meaningful way to the player's understanding of this character, the world, but more importantly, I think the frequency with which those are doled out. You know, it's not every level. Granted, there's 50 plus levels, so I'm not going to say there's 50 <laughs> cutscenes in this game. But I think that every couple of levels, just when I was like, you know, I think I'm done for this current run of this game. I'm going to go take a break. I would get a cutscene, and that would kind of reinvigorate me wanting to get more of the narrative. So I'd play another two or three levels until the next cutscene. And then it ended up being one in the morning, and I was like, okay, I've been doing this now for two hours. Yeah, It's that great balance of just giving you a little treat now and again mm -hmm. um, with what the story is. And it, yeah, if you don't care about that, that just makes it tedious, and you just like that would, again, contribute to how you end up feeling about gameplay because you would just be like, well, there's nothing really breaking this up, and I'm like not enjoying what this game is laying down narratively. So, yeah, you, you'd probably ditch it a lot sooner if it wasn't, I think, you know, as you know, fun as this game is and as intoxicating that story can be, uh, pacing-wise, it maybe has a little issue in terms of just being a little too stretched out in places, which understandable. Again, I think comes down to you know, personal choices, and you know when it's you know, when it is one person making most of these decisions, you, you're going to have that kind of thing where it's like, well, this is what I want. And this is what I feel is going to needed, which is fine, you know, like that. And that just means that not everyone's going to gel with that. I, I looked at like Steam reviews afterwards, and it's like, yeah, I, I noticed that like the overwhelmingly positive went just down to very positive uh, in a couple of months, uh, with a lot of con sort of contrary things of like, yeah, well, it's just the same thing again and again. And but I do agree at least with the idea that you know, fifty levels is maybe pushing it a little bit. You know, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you could cut a bit and maybe get that pace up. I, I appreciate that you know, especially with the enemies, that you can get used to each one individually as they are introduced. Um, know what their the tactics are for facing them, and by the time you get to the next enemy that gets introduced, you know you're used to the other ones, and it's just a nice curveball. So that's fine. I just think that you know, in terms of like telling story, it yeah. Especially towards the end, I think as well. Yeah, you know, I think you get to the sort of boss fights, and you're like, okay, yeah, this. I thought I was a bit further along than this at this point, which is fine. Again, it feels like one of those things you get with games that you know are indie and look like they do, because you naturally assume they're not going to last that long. You know, like that you think, oh, yeah. I think especially from doing horror bites, this is one of the big things. Is like <laughs> you play a game, you think. Yeah, it's probably about a couple of hours like this, like that. And when it goes longer, you're a bit surprised. Um, yeah, you know, I yeah, felt like I got past two hours and sort of roll my eyes and go, oh, God, a game longer than two hours, terrible sort of thing. It was <laughs> this case of, oh, okay, so this is um, really sort of going for it and really pushing the boat out. And you know, that's fine, that's good. I did just that'll be the problem sometimes that you will just have a little bloat here and there that doesn't quite uh, fit and i do think um one thing for me that that um happened was like i saw some of the levels that changed things up like you know either where you're like being chased by something or have a boss mm. fight or whatever and i was like man they have the ideas to like make a couple more twists on the standard formula and mm. and they and they you know whether it's time or budget or whatever they just didn't 
put like you know it feels like they could have used one or you know a couple more of those special one-off levels to justify the length of the game otherwise like like you said i think cutting it probably would have made it a bit more of a tight experience yeah i mean ironically i think we probably wouldn't be saying that if it wasn't already so celebrated as a game but i think it's almost like a natural inclination of like something gets celebrated for being great and like you, you kind of have to come into it with a more skeptical view which again is fine adjusted expectations it works out but you know the fact that even with that you know it's like i think it carries that quite well you know considering how relatively simple the loop is in terms of gameplay even when it does change it up it, it's still manages to carry it because it has the variety in what it's doing you know in terms of like giving these little story snippets and just like the, the sudden use of this hip-hop soundtrack that is just catches you off guard pretty much every time <laughs> i think it comes out and it's yeah. just you know a marvelous use of a soundtrack as well yeah there's just so much going on that by the time you sort of get through that slogging bit it, it doesn't matter you're like well i'm invested i want to know i want to get beyond you know that point comes at a point where it doesn't really matter if you're already that point there and you've been having fun and you're invested in the story. You're going to get past it. it there, there are bigger games that could be accused of exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the sort of longevity of this game was to the degree that it became a detriment to my overall experience, but it is noticeable. Um, and I would say that if anything, my sort of reasoning for wanting it to be slightly shorter for the sort of stretches tied to a specific environment was just so that way players can get to the variety of environments that are in this quicker. Um, because, you know, I think that there's maybe five or six environmental styles, uh, if you will, of this game throughout those 50 plus levels. And I just wanted to get to those a little bit quicker because, you know, whether it's just the type of person I'm playing games where it's like, yeah, I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it, or, you know, whether there's a coverage uh, sort of time crunch to experience a game in its entirety. Not everybody, you know, will stick through a game as long as, you know, the three of us probably would. So mm. getting to that variety quicker, I think, would probably have been a strength of this game. Not to say that, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, championed throughout the year and whatnot uh, in 2023. But it was one of those things where I was like, just as an environment was starting to sort of drag a little bit, I was like, oh, there's like four or five more, I suppose, levels, mm. if you will, tied to that environment which I was like, okay, I've got the gist of this. I need something new. And then, you know, by the time I was like, I'm going to take a break, it was like, oh, here's a new environment. But that was over the course of like a two-hour stretch of the game or something yeah. along those lines. Um, and yeah, in regards to like the boss fight, one in particular about halfway through um, where you're trapped in this basically an arena and you got to shoot these basically points, specific points on the enemy while dealing with the multiple health bars you have to stake your way through. I was kind of like, it feels a little too safe again for as much creativity as is dripping from this game and just, you know, how well polished it is in that creativity and sort of giving us this very unique spin on something that is more or less, you know, familiar from a gameplay side of things. Um, I was just looking for that unique twist on gameplay that then would speak more to, you know, it is this sort of homage to Max Payne in a way, but it has this kind of creative streak that carries through not only the look and the style but also the gameplay. Yeah. But, you know, I think overall with this game uh, for, again, as the kind of talk about it is as Hamash reference point uh, heavy as it can be, you know, that sense of style, I think, is, you know, immaculate to the degree that we've been talking as long as we have been about this game. And it's the type of thing where it's like, 
you it's hard to like explain it almost to people because of how many genre influence it has. The fact that it has this noir storytelling that then has this vampire hunter that then has this crazy funky hip hop soundtrack to it and all. And at the same time, like it all comes together in a way that feels very full circle. It feels very realized. And I would say, you know, if there was one piece of advice that I could give to people that were going into this game fresh, it would be like, you need to stick with it a little bit longer maybe than you're anticipating for it to really click. Mm -hmm. Cause like for me within the first hour, two hours of it, I was kind of like, okay, there's a lot of these oddities to this. I don't know how they're all going to connect. And then finding out how the world connects in a meaningful way to the narrative made me more invested in the story. It made me more invested in the character. Um, and then, you know, that's why it ended up being one of my favorite games of uh, 2023. Yeah, that, that, that narrative like is just so, is just so surprising to me. Like I, I was like, I, I remember seeing this trailer and like the first trailer for this and just being like, oh, this is like somebody made a game for me type situation. Um, mm. You know, just like just all these cool elements. Um, and But like it, it really dives into things that I'm not used to games talking about. Like it's like very like it's a story about toxic relationships. It's a story about like and not just being not just like, you know, just as a not looking at like a surface level looking at it on like a like this is why you stay in toxic relationships level like you know like the the theme of like you know how like one good one good day can make you like sort of ignore all the psychological and emotional abuse that you're going through and i think that's such a such a unique thing for something that's like also about shooting werewolves in slow motion like it's just so cool to be like be like yeah it's yeah. about like you know doing cool things as a as a like a john constantine meets blade meets you know all that sort of yeah. stuff but then it's also about like addiction and um all these other complex issues and not just on a surface level on a, like a a level that is like really well considered and well thought out and um and like well illustrated like it doesn't just it, it it has such poignant scenes and lines like i remember when i was reviewing this for bloody disgusting i was just like i was just like writing lines down like every cutscene. i was like just adding to this list of like lines that are like this is a great fucking line this is a great fucking line um uh <laughs> and then like on top of that on top of this like very serious emotional core um it's funny like it's a funny game like i remember one yeah. of my my buddy was like uh you know talked about losing it at that at that scene where like you have the you have the fight in the bathroom where you're just like shooting all the and the werewolf is introduced and then the cutscene yeah. is just like a long pause and he goes I think I just saw a werewolf in that fucking bathroom yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that's exactly the one I was thinking of just stops immediately and it's it's so good it's just such a it's such a game that seems so vibrant like it's so full of like um uh, like life detail in the way that like yeah. makes things feel feel real and like you can tell it comes from a very personal place rather than just like you know writing about something because it's a you know it's a topic du jour you know like it's yeah. it's, it's not like he's like you know writing about some topic because it's trending now or something like that he's like it's like this is this is my feeling on how it is to be in a very complex and toxic relationship and it yeah. um and it's so well observed i i just i couldn't get over that it was really really awesome yeah and i think within that as well his you know self-destructive tendencies mm -hmm. you know just propel the story forward as well which is like you're thinking why would you just why why would you do any of this it's like you know it is as much as he is trying to trick himself into he's doing something good by mm -hmm. trying to stop this it, he's 
self-destructive and pretty much admitting that you know this is going to be it you know he doesn't care he wants this to you know and that intertwined with the idea of a toxic relationship as well and it's just that in itself is you can't buy that you can't manufacture that you you have to have life experience that makes you feel like you understand how that works and you know that shines through quite surprisingly yeah i think he describes it as in the game as a one-way trip right yeah it's this idea that you know you're going to combat these sort of inner feelings that you've had while combating (laughs) these hordes of vampires and werewolves and whatnot and you know i would say that we've had plenty of examples and we've talked about it on the show plenty of times of games that try to tackle taboo subject matter in their narratives and more often than not they drop the ball pretty significantly because of the fact that i think they end up feeling as uh, aaron had said sort of manufactured because they might be timely right or oh we want to tell a mature story so we're going to handle mature Mm -hmm. topics which is not really the way that you should be going into discussing taboo subject matter, especially when it's integrally tied to your protagonist. And, you know, it is, this game's narrative is indicative of someone that, you know, is taking some, uh, I suppose, their life experiences and whatnot. And, you know, while I don't have that confirmed, it is, I think, in the game itself, the way that it handles it um, in a, I don't know, I suppose, like, it's a, it's very palpable for the audience, right? They make it very clear. They cut through a lot of the fluff typically that is surrounding getting to the point of why a game is either discussing taboo subject matter or why, you know, its character has been suffering from the ramifications of something along those lines. And in this, it's very matter of fact and it cuts through the fluff and it just kind of gives you the the raw ramifications of those previous experiences that Savage is relaying to the player and I think that the best example of that, I come back to the secret sort of, um, I think they're projectors mm-hmm. that play or voicemails that play little audio snippets. And, you know, those mo- moments and snippets don't revolve around like a massive fight or having these massive sort of like set pieces. It's very casual conversations mm-hmm. half the time. And those and the subtlety, I think, with which those are presented and the information that is you know gained from those over time, it builds up and it adds up and it allows the player to kind of fill in the, the missing pieces of what transpired before you know the game began, which if anything, when you have those big set piece moments that play out in cutscenes and have those big revelations, I think it just strengthens them overall to make something that um, is very palpable for the audience, is very poignant at times. Um, and it's, very, it's shocking every time, you know, again, I think that this is a game that would be very easy to judge just by looking at it from afar and saying, well, I think I basically know what this experience will entail. And to have a narrative that is as personal and is as polished, I'll say, was one of the aspects of why I just kept playing because I was I was being driven to wanting to explore more and more and more and not back out because I was hoping to learn just more about this character and uh, sort of fully understanding their plight, I'll say, which is not always something that I experienced with third-person shooters, not to slander <laughs> third-person shooters, but it is one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be, I'm going to dive around some corners and shoot some stuff in the face and won't have much thinking behind it. And to see gameplay requiring a bit more of a strategic approach and then having a narrative that uh, was a lot more emotionally impacting, I'll say, um, was definitely one of the biggest surprises of this game, which I think is why uh, I, you know, hold it in such high regards. And sounds like you guys do as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's just got such an identity. Um, I actually remember listening to an interview with Nelson on a different podcast. um, And he was talking about how um, he was showing the game off at some convention. 
And um, one of the things that really stood out to him as far as people's reception is that like um, a lot of a lot of um, people of color walked by and were like, holy shit, that's a game starring a black person. And like we're just like so excited to see something that like, um, you know, seemed so like dedicated to like having, uh, you know, having a protagonist that's a minority and then having this very hip hop identity to, um, Mm. you know. Uh, to it and that was such a you know such a unique um, you know cultural perspective to bring to to the third person shooter genre and to to help um, flavor this to be an even more personal story coming from a cultural perspective um, and all that sort of stuff was just very very cool and like to have him like describe like how it is like you know having the exact effect that hope he hopes it does you know like um, you know seeing it reach people that don't feel like they're usually reached um, is it's great love that yeah yeah I mean, it, it does feel quite modern in that, that sense of just like i said not just the self-destructive thing but you know the self-loathing the, the, just all the qualities if you will <laughs> that uh, you wouldn't necessarily think would help but they do but uh, you know the, all the reasons why he's in this situation as well in the game and it's just it is just quite interesting to see that but it makes him a perfect noir character you know like that and a modern noir character when you think of like uh, you know neo-noir you know as it, it is just these kind of characters where they are just generally you know if you were to look at them it's like yeah, they're not great people you know in one way or another it's like he's not a great person but you know in contrast to the things he's fighting he is a fucking saint you know by comparison but <laughs> he is you know part of the problem he's yeah, and he realizes that and the guilt behind that is um you know palpable yeah and i think that the best example of noir writing and noir characters is the fact that you can be a character that even if he wasn't fighting demons and everything like that you have characters that are not technically great people but you begin to understand them i think to a degree Mm. um and you know that doesn't mean but at the end of an experience you're going to justify everything they do or justify the character or the person they are but i think that this game does a good job of making you understand where somebody's coming from um which you know when you're talking about noir stories those most of those characters don't always make it out alive (laughs) but you still become invested in them to see them through in their sort of journey um and you know caring for them enough to the degree that you're like, okay, yeah, I'm invested in this narrative, even if I'm not going to co-sign everything this character's done, um, is a pretty pivotal part of noir storytelling. And for them to get it as right as they do here, um, I think, you know, as much fun as the game is, right, uh, it is pretty remarkable. And I, I haven't listened to a great deal of interviews, but it's like, I would I would imagine this was not the first story that uh, Nelson has written because, like, the writing is just so spot on in terms of nailing those um, genre influences. And sometimes, you know, when a game is trying to do a lot, um, trying to draw too many influences from too many genres is not always like the bandaid perhaps that some people think it is. And so to get all of those genre influences uh, perfectly done in this, I think is quite the achievement. Yeah. It comes from understanding the genre you're working within as well. You know, not just in terms of like horror or noir it's going beyond like the the, you know, the broad stroke stuff and really digging into it when you think of like modern noir characters that have that sort of balance of like being pieces of shit that are likable in a way that you're kind of rooting for them because of the situation they're in 
you look at like Shane Black's um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or even The Nice Guys, you know, um, or you look more broadly at say Rian Johnson's uh, Brick, you know, with Joseph Gordon Levitt, there where he, you know, he is, you know, he's not really the nicest person, but you know, and he kind of feels a bit too adult for the situation he's in, but it's it works. It's like, because he's compelling in a way that makes that story work. And they all have this similar ethos, which is, we're going to keep pushing forward, even though the situation we are facing tells us you should probably just leave it, you know, and that's like the basis of so much noir. You know, you have this protagonist who will just go at something where they really should leave it alone. And in you know, some cases you find out why, because the result at the end of it is like, yeah, certain death. And, um, you know, this is a protagonist that knows that pretty much from the outset. It's like, yeah, I know that this is going to end me, but, you know, I have to see this through. I, you know, it's a compulsion for the character. I think that is like the greatest indicator of getting a sort of noir protagonist right. Yeah, and I think that that all is perfectly summed up in this game whenever you die, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You keep going, right? Which is really the sort Mm -hmm. of thing where it's like, yeah, you clearly that like just that choice every time the player dies, it's like, yeah, sure. You want people to keep playing the game, but it speaks more to the character themselves, Mm -hmm. right? The fact that that is the justification for why you're going to keep venturing into the void no matter how many levels. It might be 50, could be 100, it could be infinite, but you keep going. You're going to get to the end of, find the end of this narrative, even if, uh, you know, that ending might not be within the player's lifetime, but it certainly will be in uh, Savages. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even the way the game structured it, it's like, it's always pushing you on. It's not letting you linger on anything. Mm. Like you get your cutscene occasionally and then it's like, yep, level. Like that, no preamble it's and then it's up to you and if you obviously are having the end of your session you're like you, even there you know in the do you want to quit thing it's still the keep going is there mm-hmm. as a an incentive and i love that because that's the idea of the intrusive thought being there of like yeah no no keep going keep doing this keep going you know have this force in you that makes you carry on and at times it actually works you know as a gameplay mechanic in itself mm-hmm. which is just mm-hmm. really quite smart intentional or not just the type of experience that is so well-rounded, which <laughs> it's going to sound disparaging to say, but within the opening moments of this game, I was not anticipating something that would be, again, as thoroughly, um, I suppose, full circle mm-hmm. uh, as this game is. And just you know how you really can't judge the oddities of a specific style um, on, from the outset because it's the type of thing where it's like, yeah, it's interesting to look at it seems it's very strange stylistically, but you know, there's a lot more thought behind it. We talk about this on horror bites all the time. It's like, yeah, it's cool when games have this very unique, very strange, very out of seemingly left field sort of creativity to it. But that can't be the crux always of your experience. You can't just be weird Mm -hmm. or different and not have something backing it up. And for this game to have that unique style, but to be backed up narratively and more importantly for some people, like the gameplay aspect of it, as tight as this game is, as fun as it is to shoot werewolves in the face, um, which I think that's going to be how I sell this game to anybody. I'm just going to be, do you like horror? Do you like Max Payne? Do you want to shoot a werewolf in the face with a shotgun? Um, that really is kind of the best basic sales pitch for this game. But I think then, you know, once people are able to get into it on that basic sales pitch, um, it's the type of thing where it's so much more rewarding in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, you almost have to undersell it now. Right, that's the other thing. Sure. Like you, you don't want to yeah. pitch it as like this great profound thing, but it, even though it, it, 
does have so much going for it that you, you kind of want to just sort of shout it from the rooftops and go, yeah, don't worry about this thing that you may not like or this thing you may not like. It's like in any medium, you know, you get into something where it's like you clearly know the thing that people will go, oh, no, because this. And like, so you're just trying to think of ways to sort of market it to them, even though that's not your fucking job. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, but you want to, you want someone to experience it, to understand it the same way you do. And yeah, that, that's obviously subjective. But you know, when you get things like this, you really want people to get it that way exactly because you fear you fear and know that people won't uh, if they approach it from a different angle. I think the the more recent sort of wave of Steam reviews kind of tell that story, where people have sort of seen the early hype and gone. Well, now I, this is what I expect. I expect a modern Max Payne, blah, blah, blah. This, like that. They, they skim the notes of whatever reviews they've seen and don't really look into much more. So you, you kind of have to sell them on the simplest version that isn't just the Max Payne thing. It's like, okay, it's a throwback with some modern touches. As you said, you shoot werewolves in the face. And, that, and that's all you need. And, you know, that speaks to if you undersell it, once they actually get to experience all those other elements that we've mentioned and how strong they are, then it becomes this wonderful surprise of an experience that, you know, surpasses, maybe it meets certain expectations, but it certainly is going to surpass them in uh, more ways than one. I think the deeper into this one, the player gets. Um, but Aaron, we were so pleased to have you join us to chat about what was one of my favorite games of last year. And uh, it was great to kind of unpack that in a little more a little bit more depth so thanks man. yeah no problem this is this is the type of game that i absolutely love to see in the world like you know in, in a world where mm. like big budget gaming can be like kind of you know ballooning to a place that seems less sustainable it's nice to see like a small <laughs> a small company be like we're gonna make a game that is we focus on polishing a core loop we, um, you know, we scope it properly and we, you know, we get it, we present it well with good writing and good, you know, just, just, um, you know, using our tools exactly as we, as we can and just making their, it's, it's that meme of like, um, I want, I want games that look worse, that are shorter, that are made by people <laughs> yeah. who are, you know, paid more to do less and no, I'm not joking. It's like, that's kind of like, you know, the ideal is like, you know, you have like a, a small team that's, you know, just focusing on their, their little game and putting out something that they love. Um, and it seems like that this is, this is the type of game that it, that is. Yeah. It, it's much like, uh, yeah, it's why I do compare it to movies as a medium more than any other, because there's room for experimentation at mm -hmm. the lower levels in you have a place where you can make shorter experiences that you know, can try out ideas mm -hmm. do things like that and you can sort of separate the wheat from the chaff that way and they go on to just escalate these ideas and we've seen it more and more in the last few years i think as well you know this new wave you know we've been in this situation before in terms of like where you know high level gaming is and like where the idiocy and the greed of it kind of derails it for a bit and then indie games kind of come in strong obviously we don't want indie companies to keep getting bought up by you know these ones that mm -hmm. just sort of hoover up people constantly and then just spit them back out but i think there's a sustainable level somewhere by people mm -hmm. who are just doing it because they enjoy what they're doing and you know 
sure, that might mean doom and gloom for the people at the top who, uh, even today, I've seen someone again putting out the oh, games are in trouble, games are terrible these days. You know, we're all playing the same few games. It's like, you know, it's like you're telling on yourself when you say stuff like that. It's like, we're all playing Fortnite, Call of Duty and FIFA. And it's like, yeah, no, you, you are playing that. It's not because there aren't any good games out there. It's just that's the kind of dopamine hit you want and it's not working on you anymore. Like that. Um, we've gone past that. Games are so much more and mean so much more. They have done for like 20 fucking years now. You know, we've had games that have had such more complex, deeper and insightful meaning. You know, like from the PS2 era onwards, I think really, really hit that note. And I think indie developers are really just picking up that slack from that era and going, you know what? We can take some of the stuff that's been made in the last, you know, the last indie wave and marry that to, you know, the old school sensibilities of like creative freedom and batshittery. You know, that's the best way to do it. Well, we need to put some filters on what pops up on your Twitter because I feel like one of those prompts <laughs> pops up every six or so hours. Oh, but, it's, uh, it's more than just Twitter, unfortunately. It's like, it's, <laughs> but fortunately for all of us, perils um, working. <laughs> you know, games such as El Paso elsewhere, I think, continue to fill, um, I suppose, what some people would view as a void, but I think more importantly, kind of champion what Aaron said, um, getting to see a creative whose creativity is not restricted. There might be restrictions along yeah. the way in terms of the scope or the scale of what they can do. Um, but with a game such as this, it's really fantastic just to see, um, you know, unbridled creativity that, you know, clearly uh, was not hindered by any monetary uh, monetary issues, perhaps that smaller studios might <laughs> run into, um, which is just great to see a creative get to, uh, you know, tell a story the way they want to tell it. Uh, and I suppose not be censored in that regard, but uh, yeah. That's going to do it for our chat on El Paso Elsewhere. Thanks again, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. You can follow Horror Bites' Twitter account at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, you can send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. 
Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories if you're brave enough. (laughs) 